0: getting injured is probably the best thing that could happen to you. In fact, you may want to go out and get injured today. We're going to find out more about that. On today's episode, episode, not episode, episode of the Movement, Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting with the feet first, because those things down there are your foundation for everything above that. We break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the outright lies you've heard about what it takes to run, to walk, to hike, to play, to lift, to do CrossFit, yoga, whatever it is you like to do on your feet, and to do that enjoyably and healthily. And Did I mention enjoyably? Because if you're not having fun, do something else until you are. I'm Stephen Sashen from ZeroShoes.com. Your host, and we call this the Movement Movement podcast because we're creating a movement about movement. The creating a movement means that involves you. I'll come back to that in a second. And the about movement is that we believe that we can help people rediscover that the natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice, the way people currently think of natural food. And so the movement part um, about, other the natural movement means that, you know, you are the community that spreads this message. And when we hit a certain critical mass, eventually everyone's going to remember this. And it's not even discovering it anew. It's the way human beings have been living since the beginning of human beings. So if you want to know how to be part of the movement, it's really simple, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com and that's where you can find all the previous episodes and all the different ways you can interact with uh, this content. You can find us on YouTube and Instagram and Facebook and all the, et cetera, et cetera, and all the different places the podcast is. And of course, review, like, share, give us a thumbs up, hit the bell on YouTube. In short, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So let's jump in with this question of, you know, do you want to go out and get injured? And to answer. This question, we have Petra Fisher on here. Petra, who the hell are you, and what are you doing here?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Stephen. It's delightful to be here. I am a person Pleasure. who got injured, and it changed my life. So it's good to be talking about this today.
0: Wait. So wait before um, we get I into, am... on, wait. before we get into talking about you getting injured and why you think injury can be a really valuable thing. Actually, two thoughts. I'm going to do it in this order. It's funny. The way we talked about saying this was, you know, what's the simplest thing we can say in the most incendiary way possible? And I'm reminded of a friend of mine who gave me that idea who was going on Oprah. And I said, uh, he's a psychologist. And I said, you know, how do you what are you going to say on Oprah? He said, I'm going to say that uh, an affair is the best thing that can happen in your marriage. And everyone's head's going to explode. And I'm going to say, well, what that means is if someone had an affair, there was some unspoken truth that led to that and if you can articulate it and have the courage to articulate it, that could actually resolve things and make your relationship even better than it was. So, But here's the other thing before you get started in your why injury is so awesome story. Often because it's the movement, movement podcast, we ask people if they wanna share something that people could do to move, whether they're um, walking around or in their car, they're probably not in their car right now, or just sitting around. So I know I'm putting you on the spot, we didn't prep for this, can you think of a movement thing that you would want to share with people, and if you can't, that's cool. We can go on. But I thought I'd throw it out there and, you know, put you under the hot lights.
1: I can always think of a movement thing too. <laughs> I, I <had> a hunch <laughs> movement is what a I challenge. do, Stephen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm going to share. It's it's such a simple thing, and anyone can do it. If are near a doorway, it is one of the best stretches that you can do, and all you need to do. Needs to be a solid doorway. You don't want a flimsy doorway for this. Nice solid doorway with something to grab onto you snake your hand onto the other side of the doorway and you grab on and you start stepping your feet into the doorway and leaning away from the doorway until you get a nice stretch happening at your shoulders and then maybe turn yourself sideways. And that is going to help you undo all that tightness. Yeah. You're totally nailing it. Oh, I love Just it. leaning backwards is going to be a way to get some of that awesome hanging juice into your shoulders that they miss out when you're on computers and in meetings all day. I, I
0: love that and because good. so Lena and I, when we're not at the office, um, you will find find us in what is our second bedroom, which is where we have our television. So it's our guest bedroom slash television room. And we have a chin-up bar on, there's a, a, a bathroom as part of this bedroom. So we have a chin-up bar there. And as we walk in, we always do a stretch, but this is perfect for those times where you don't have something like that. And just that hanging, stretching to open up those shoulders is so, so good. And most people don't think of that. So that's the on the other side of your body than your feet, but also really, really uh, overlooked. So- Love it. Cool. Yeah, um, all right. So jumping it. in. So let's, let's chat about injuries and how wonderful they can be. <laughs>
1: and, all right. So <laughs> let's frame that a little bit. I obviously no one wants to get injured. Um, and I certainly didn't. And I have a long history of chronic injuries every time I tried doing any kind of sports. Uh, and the reason this ended up being wonderful for me was because one you know, in the most recent round of, of really difficult injuries was when uh, back in in my corporate days, I was a lawyer working in Toronto uh, doing the most corporate evil type of law you could imagine and my stress relief was running and I have flat feet. And so I started getting all the running injuries you could possibly imagine. And it was really frustrating because you weren't
0: getting injuries because you had flat feet, speaking as someone who had lifelong comic (laughs) level flat feet, but nonetheless, just want to clarify for people who might have flat feet thinking that we're saying that flat feet causes injuries, which we're not. So anyway, continuing.
1: I brought that up because I was given all the motion control shoes that existed in the world. Everybody wanted to fix my running for me with the shoes. And it wasn't until I started going deep into the world of manual and movement therapy that I started realizing that there was something much more fundamentally wrong with, with me. And it wasn't, really me. It was just because I didn't know the technique and I didn't have the right shoes. And it led to me going down this pathway of turning into a movement coach instead of a lawyer, which has truly been the best thing that's ever happened to me.
0: So what kind of injuries (laughs) were you getting? And then, and what was, I mean, was there kind of a, you know, a pivotal moment that was the ha and you know, one of those things with the angels blaring and the sky lightning and doves flying overhead and chocolate flowing and fountains and you know what how, what were the injuries what was that transition moment and what was the first thing that you did
1: yeah i sort of had it was all of them i had shin splints i had nerve issues i had um uh, plantar fasciitis um i started having some hip problems like everything that i did seemed to be a thing There was less a single moment when I was like, this has to change. Actually, that's not true. There were two moments. Number one was the first time I went to a rehab Pilates specialist, and she showed me the way that I stood. And the way I was standing was the way that most people who wear shoes with heels stand habitually. When you come out of your shoes with heels, you still stand like you're wearing heels. That tends to carry forward into your body if you sit a lot and wear heels. So realizing that my pelvis was way forward And squashing my feet all the time was a huge light bulb moment. Like one of those moments when you realize that by changing how you move, you can change everything and heal and fix yourself. So that was a huge one. And then the second light bulb moment was after I was doing this rehab Pilates and seeing these massage therapists. I was getting really interested in bodies and I started a personal training and I had a client who needed some help with her squat. So I started Googling and I found Katie Bowman's classic, Blog articles on how to squat better, and my life changed forever. All I wanted to do was to learn from Katie, and that is all I did for the next several years. And so that was really the moment when I was like, Oh my god, how you move changes everything.
0: Squatting, it's so funny. I think about how old are you? I know it's a loaded question for some but okay, so I'm about to turn 58. Four and the amount of time that i spend sitting on the floor squatting doing all these things getting up and down every almost every time i do it i think that when i was growing up i didn't know anyone who did that I, my parents didn't do that none of their friends did that it's such a and yet you know it's so common everywhere else in the world and it's something that for whatever reason i've always done a lot of my friends do as well I mean my god when I was first living in Manhattan I don't think I owned any furniture because I couldn't afford it Mm -hmm. Um, so I had a futon on the floor I had uh, some other pillows on the floor and seemed totally fine Um, people of course many people thought it was crazy others thought it was super cool yeah so you started squatting and that's
1: still how it's gonna be
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So you... I
1: started. I started doing everything Katie Bowman said to do. So I started with research about squatting and to help my client work on her squatting technique. But I, I don't know how familiar you are with Katie's work. But she's a biomechanist who oh, yeah. sort of combines this idea that natural movement is the movement humans should have, the same way that natural food is the food that humans should have, uh, with a sort of a series of small corrective exercises to restore. The capacity to move in those ways. Right. So most of us, you know, as you know, will struggle to squat well because we're missing the capacity without doing the build up first.
0: So what happened with that one client then?
1: Uh, we fixed her squat, and she and I are friends to this day. We worked together <laughs> for for a long time after that. She no longer. About- she did something funky with her spine.
0: Well, and talk about then what happened for you moving forward. Um, Just, you know, there was the light bulb moment, if you will, starting to learn to squat and starting to research, you know, what changed? I mean, I I have my own version of this, of learning about my running form and how that corrected my injuries. And then I became a faster runner and masters all American sprinter and blah, blah, blah. But it's a question that people ask all the time, like how long is it going to take for me to transition or what do I need to do next? And people are often looking for a very linear program, Uh, And I always think this is very idiosyncratic, you know, there's, there's too much individual difference, Um, but I'm curious both what happened for you and then what you've discovered as you've been working with people.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, I found Katie when I was still working in the corporate world. So I transitioned from law, and I was working in a government office at that point, doing policy work. Uh, so I studied Katie's work, and I joined her certification program probably about a week after that. So I was studying and working, and <laughs> so I I got a standing desk at work, and I'm I convinced my entire office they should all have standing desks, so I'm sure that my, my managers weren't super happy about it. Uh, I started teaching at the office, so I, sort of, I was all in right away, so that was really cool to sort of practice that and learn it, um, and I got certified by Katie about six months afterwards, so I switched from corporate world into movement coaching um, and pretty much committed kind of my life and my business to both moving more naturally and to teaching. So that was a, it was a double-edged sword because I wasn't certified in anything like Pilates or yoga. I was certified with Katie Bowman, who nobody had heard of at that stage. So I really had to go through a long period of just trying to get this message out. And it's so exciting to see, you know, your work and what other people are doing in this field now because this word is getting out now. Uh, which is great, Uh, but I started teaching, and it's been a really interesting process for me, because I am definitely a very hypermobile person, typically much harder to work with than a stiff Hmm. person, Uh, so my injury healing has been still a slow process, um, but what's cool about it is that you you really get to know yourself and you get to know your body and your movement in a way that you never do if you take it all for granted. So now I'm at the stage kind of coming out the other end where I'm able to do more athletic type movements where my body's more balanced and able and capable and a bunch of issues that just kind of cleared up along the way. You know, I really don't have um, any of the foot conditions. I mean, those all cleared up very quickly. Um, I had pelvic sto- floor stuff going on that I didn't even realize was pelvic floor stuff. I just thought it was. people heat. don't even know what a
0: pelvic floor. They don't know, you know, yeah. if you say pelvic floor to many people, they will think that's what you discover when you fall on your hip onto the ground. <laughs>
1: Not your pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it was eye-opening. I was like, oh my God, not only am I learning how to fix pelvic floor issues, but I have one. But that's been cool because that's really cleared up completely as and that cleared up very quickly as well. And what's so neat is that, you know, even, even if you haven't cleared up all of your stuff, as you do this transition, you get all these tools that you feel like you have a path forward. You've much more empowered and able to fix your things. So I think that's that's kind of where I'm at in my journey. And we've really transitioned kind of to the deep end of national movement now so we I was teaching in Toronto for about five years and then we bought a Toyota Forerunner and went traveling so for the last two years we've been camping and living outdoors and surfing and hiking and doing all the things that my feet could never have done when I was living in heel shoes as a corporate lawyer
0: well so that's and been I'm, cool. and I'm sure you know like that lifestyle that every day you miss putting on essentially a suit and tie and Rigid shoes and you know hanging out in an office. I mean, my God, who wouldn't? <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: pencil skirt, Stephen. Pencil skirts.
0: Oh, pencil skirt. Yeah, that's brilliant. Uh, Lena, Lena and I were effectively retired from 2000 to 2009, and and I say to people, you know, you need to have some time where you're not working for a living, because then you really appreciate what it means to not. Work for a living, and sometimes it can take like a couple years till you get over that idea that you should be or need to be or whatever it is. A friend of mine called me. Lane and I were we're were staying with a friend uh, who had a house right on the water in in uh, in in, on the Big Island in Hawaii, and a friend of mine was talking about, hey, you know, if you do this one thing for a couple hours a day, you can know you can make an extra ten thousand dollars a month. I said, Brian, I don't think you get it. The gap between doing a little every day and doing nothing every day is infinite. And you can't get me over that. <laughs> now I say that, but then in 2009, we had this crazy idea to start zero shoes and, you know, we've never worked harder or more in our life. Um, so, but it's been very satisfying, but I do, uh, I, I do enjoy the not having to do anything part of my life.
1: Well, the irony is that I actually have been working the entire time on the road, so my boyfriend has been surfing and living the retired <laughs> life um, but i 'm lucky because <laughs> because I really love it so i 'm still coaching um, because we 've had very intermittent inter- um, internet all of my work now is online program creation. So I have oh. a membership program where I teach people how to move better. I'm in the middle of creating, I'm super excited. It's like a signature program. It's a build better feet, uh, foot strengthening course. That's a mashup of footwork and hip work and walking skills and very excited about that. Uh, so. A,
0: that's super exciting. B, obviously keep me posted so we can share that with people because that's brilliant. Um, it, it, cool. it, it really is amazing that There are so many programs that are, whether it's a boot camp program, or, you know, fill in the blank for, for whatever different exercise programs there are. Um, But people don't get the, both the simplicity and the value of an actual foot-based program until they experience it. And, and I think maybe this is our next thing, if you will, is to have foot-based programs be part of what's available at gyms and spas and places. And it becomes something that people recognize as valuable um, and experience the the benefits Mm -hmm. thereof. That, you know, that's a whole other, thing of what would it take to make this ubiquitous, to make it so that people recognize that this is a thing and and know how to find it?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think that... You were so right earlier when you said that everybody's journey is unique and there are certainly people who can transition to barefoot and do it smart, you know, don't overdo things, but can transition to barefoot without doing any foot exercises at all. And there are other people for whom you're just not going to get the best results when you do that. So I think that some attention to it's a good idea for everybody and you're going to, you're going to optimize your results if you start paying attention to your mobility and stability and training barefoot. Like it's incredible the differences you can make. So yeah, I mean, it's your, it's your foundation, right? It's crazy not to work on your feet.
0: Do you know, I don't know if you know the research. There's two women who I met at the International Footwear and Ankle Biomechanics Conference. Um, one is uh, in Brazil. Her name is Isabel Sacco. And Isabel, her research was she literally took a, like a $7 minimalist shoe from, that's made in Brazil, put it on a bunch of elderly women, and said, just wear these. And what she was looking at is knee osteoarthritis and found that in many of them, it cleared up. Um, mostly because one of the things that causes knee osteoarthritis is just pounding on the joint and you stop doing that by using your muscles, ligaments, and tendons, mm-hmm. that can go away. Uh, so she gave people no training whatsoever and just said, you know, do this. Um, similarly, mm-hmm. Sarah Ridge mm-hmm. at BYU her research was basic, the same idea. Here's a minimalist shoe, put it on, just use that for walking, um, and compared that to people who did a okay. foot strengthening program and found that they both developed foot strength mm. the same. She didn't think to have a group that was mm. wearing minimalist shoes and doing foot strengthening. But the point being that for mm. both of them, they did a you know, uh, trial by fire, just threw them into the deep end, and basically everybody was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that there isn't a mm-hmm. better way to do it, but to prove that especially if you're just walking, mm-hmm. or just to prove that you can just make the transition and your body will figure out most of it is great news and now if we can optimize that so much the better
1: yeah yeah i think that's exactly it you know it's clear that lots of people get tons of benefit just for making the transition but then how much more benefit can you get once you get more hip mobility more big toe mobility you know like where can you go with it so i think it's an exciting opportunity for sure
0: I love pointing out that um, yeah, it's- th- there, there's some people who, who say, well, here's the requirement before you can try going barefoot or something minimalist. And I love pointing out mm-hmm. that all the tests that they have to prove that are things that I can't do. And, you know, after 12 years of doing it, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally unable to do that. Um, and some of it is, you know, let's call it coordination. And some of it is I've got a spinal thing, so I just can't do some of these movements Um, but it hasn't stopped me in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's another, it's ironically, this is going to sound contrary to what I was saying just a moment ago. On the one hand, we want to give people some program they can progress through. On the other hand, everyone's trying to come up with a program so they can have their own individual thing that they're marketing, which can sometimes make it more of a barrier to entry where people don't know what to do next because they have options that they, and they want to pick the best option. I don't know how to, I have no idea how to resolve this, but it's, again dealing with humans who yeah. um especially uh, maybe i don't know how much it's western or american but we're not well versed at doing something you were saying which is just listening to our body and figuring it out and that i think is one of the big advantages of starting to go on this path is that you learn how to become your own coach and then all you're finding is cool tools to yeah. help you do that better
1: yeah. Yeah, I, exactly. And I think that's ultimately the secret to learning to be a more effective mover is to be a more effective observer of your own movement. So, yeah. you know, listening to cues that aren't just pain, but also listening to fatigue or stiffness, you know, your body's telling you what's up. We just are very poor at listening to it. So better shoes are huge because you'll be able to feel more stuff right. and then just practicing listening. It's very meta when you get right down to it.
0: What do you what do you do with people who have um, who have challenges that? The, what I'm thinking of is I remember way back when. To make a long story short, I asked somebody um, uh, how to. I, oh, I was asking them to pay attention to sensations in their body, some some sensations in their body. And this person was like, "What are you talking about?" And just had no frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's about lunchtime." I said, "So, are you hungry?" He goes, "Yeah." I said, "How do you know?" He goes, "What do you mean? I'm hungry." Mm-hmm. I said, "Well." are you getting any signals anywhere telling you that you're hungry? Like, and I'm thinking pit of your stomach, empty feeling, hauling, you know, whatever, anything that I would attribute to, Hey, I'm hungry. And the guy had like no frame of reference for what I was saying. And my brain very quickly went from, that's a problem that he can't do that to That's just not the way he relates to his body. And I don't have a, I haven't landed yet on, how to deal with that, whether it's just like, that's the way you are versus let's see if we can do some things to tweak that a little bit. What's your experience with people like that? If you've had any.
1: Yeah. Oh, tons. I mean, I think, so the way I think of it is, is very much, you know, again, contextualize a natural movement. If you had been a naturally moving human, you would have participated in your own movement from day one. Your parents would have carried you as they foraged and hunted. You would have grabbed, you would have been outside. You would have done more things, more barefoot, all of those things. And so you would be a mover more like a wild animal is. You would have a much clearer brain-body connection. And we're in a state right now where almost all of us have this very fuzzy connection. Mm -hmm. So when you're trying to develop connection, I I think the best approach is to throw a bunch of tools at it and see what sticks. So, assuming
0: you're not me like throwing hammers at people and seeing if they're magnetic. (laughs)
1: Will this all hurt you or not?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Here's some Black and Decker stuff. Wham! So give me, give me an example.
1: Never throw a tool at anybody. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> there are a million ways that you can start to sense and notice what's happening in your body. So an obvious one would be to move in front of a mirror to see if the way you're moving is the way you think you're moving. Uh, you could do a movement lying on the ground and explore the way pressure changes in your body. You could videotape yourself. You could roll on a squishy ball and start to feel those sensations. So it's 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 mindfulness. It's a process mm-hmm. of developing mindfulness through tactile sensations and through visual observation. Can you
0: say. give me an example of something you would have somebody do in front of a mirror and the reason that I'm zeroing in on that one is the number of times I've had a situation, for example, where somebody says, hey, there's something wrong with the sole of your shoes because, you know, I'm wearing out the heel. And I say, well, you're clearly reaching out with your foot, landing on your heel and pulling back and, you know, causing friction. And that's what's making it wear out faster than it would if you had a different gait pattern. And they go, no, 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 I don't do that. I go, "Uh, okay, well, send me a video so I can take a look. And they'll send a video and they're doing... A, they're doing exactly what I predicted, and B, they usually will not only um, have a hard time recognizing that at first, but I've literally had three people after I showed them that they're overstriding, heel striking, pulling back their heel, literally say to me, "Yeah, but I don't do that." And I go, "Dude, it's a video of you made by you, sent by you. It's you." And um, and there are some people, and I'm not suggesting that that's. How do I want to put it? I'm not trying to you know, bad mouth them or, or be demeaning or, or whatever, but there's some people who just don't have that good proprioceptive relationship where they, what they think their body is doing is very different than what their body is doing. And we all have it to a certain extent, but some people you know, more or less in different ways. So can you think, what would be something somebody would do in front of a mirror that would either let them know if they have some proprioceptive skill or point out something that they might want to explore?
1: Yeah. So the way that so I mean I, I teach a lot of gait, and so feet are a huge part of of walking, and that's one of the reasons that feet are so fundamental in my work. But standing is a part of gait, and how you stand is a part of gait. So I would start with anybody standing in front of a mirror and observing which way their feet are pointing. And check in on which way your feet point and you can try to change it. So there may be so one very common adaptation to poor ankle mobility is to have your feet kind of duck out all the time. I'm sure you see it. Yeah. And a straighter foot normalizes the forces that happen on your ankle. It's a, it's a bunion decreator too to straightening your feet. To practice that, you need to see it. And to see it, you need a mirror and a straight line and you need to start being like, oh, okay, look, my feet have now ducked out again. Oh, I need to straighten them. So that would be a very obvious mirror-focused exercise. So what I would do, you know, is start somebody with just straightening their feet. And then I would take it on to an exercise, like a calf stretch and have them work with a not straight foot and a straight foot in a calf stretch. So they could experience the difference and then take that straight foot practice into your daily life because you can practice having straight feet when you're washing the dishes. Right. So it's, 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 it's a skill building and a habit changing type of approach. I would say
0: there's a thing but that I, you know, sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just going to agree with you that having people look at themselves on video can be very challenging because it takes a fair bit of practice observing movement to be able to see what's happening in movement.
0: I think that yeah, it's true, I like and that. you know, you and you get better with it over time for sure. Um, one of the things that Irene Davis at Harvard does in retraining people uh, when they've come in with running injuries, they'll, they often do you know run with their feet everted, pointed out, or their knees ducking in, or you know, very, various things like that. And she has a, a mirror in front of the treadmill and says, "Here's where you want to be," and kind of helps. Mm-hmm. Actually, what she does it's even more fun. She'll stick her finger in their butt cheeks and say, "Squeeze right here," and they'll notice that when they do that. that changes what their feet are doing say all right now that you know what makes your feet move in and out run and keep your feet in line and just watch in the mirror and what she does it's a classic sort of biofeedback training thing is like let's just do this with you watching in the mirror and then at a certain point we're going to have you run for two minutes while you watch and then we'll put a curtain over the mirror for 30 seconds and then we pull the curtain up and you see where you are and you do another two minutes you where know, you can see it and just so basically over time you get less and less visual feedback. So it's more and more becoming an internal experience. Um, A little trickier to do if you're obviously standing in front of a mirror or, but another thing you might want to try is, you know, take that mirror and if you have a treadmill stick it in front of a treadmill or, or, or I can imagine Mm -hmm. put a mirror at the end of your hall and walk, Towards it, and just have a camera so you can see what happens when you're walking or walking away, or if, you're, or maybe maybe even the the best thing is to have tell your partner, whomever you're living with, to uh, videotape you when you're not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> which could be with peril. Maybe.
1: Yeah. That could be a very stressful stressful project. <laughs> um,
0: I mean under certain specific yeah. circumstances. I don't I'm not saying, you know, uh, hey, I caught you in the bathroom. <laughs> I'm not uh, I just mean, you know, you're walking down the hall. I'm not trying to make a candid camera. But, you know, the point is that,
1: that we
0: are when we're when we know we're being watched even by ourselves, we sometimes make subtle changes. Yeah that we don't know that we're making
1: sure sure i think over time you start to collect more and more data too so you know you already mentioned shoe wear patterns are a big clue in walking injury patterns are a big clue about what's going on as well and you're going to tend to see injury collect on one side or in a pattern so you know what, what you know i call myself a movement coach and i think of myself as coaching movement quality both in terms of efficiency of making a move and in terms of overall whole life movement are you getting what a human needs um and you just keep refining that and refining it by checking in so what you say absolutely it would be awesome to videotape all of that stuff but you can get so many clues just over time by watching and focusing and checking in with mirrors with video with injuries with wear patterns with the beach if you're walking on sand you can see what's happening with your your walk that's super helpful interestingly treadmill walking is very different than regular walking. There are, I, I know you're more of a runner, but there's two basic propulsion systems in walking. And one, you can kind of lean forward and let gravity pull you along and you catch yourself. And the other, you're essentially lifting yourself on one hip and pushing backwards with the back leg and it's a hamstring driven propulsion system and most human walking is a combination of those two systems and right now modern humans have about 90% fall and 10% push and so my entire life goal is to help you have more backward push and less falling because the less falling you have the less injuries you have as a general rule.
0: There's nothing I like more than when people agree with me. And, um, and so in the same way that I, when I first reached out to you, I said, I feel remiss that I just discovered you after these years. And, uh, and I didn't expect that you would know everything that I've ever said or written. But I have a whole thing about walking where I talk about exactly that. It's like, you know, you, when you walk, you're supposed to be using your butt and your hamstrings. And if, you look yes! at people, yeah, and if you look at people who spend a lot of time walking in bare feet, typically in third world countries, they've got great butts. And, you know, in the it's West, it's, we got a lot of flat asses and so um, I the yeah. I use a number of analogies to get people to experience this but one is like thinking about skating where you're pushing back you don't need to lift your leg in front of you you just what's moving you is that you you know the hip and the glute are designed for extension and we don't use those typically and it really when people start to feel that um, at first, of course, if you exaggerate it and you look like Frankenstein walking, um, but then you, as it smooths out, it looks, it, it feels normal and you're not just throwing your leg forward and trying to push yourself over it. Um, and if yeah. people, I think if people, well, maybe this is it. If people just learn to walk in a way that's using their button and their hamstring correctly, that would take care of so many issues.
1: Sure. Sure, because then all of a sudden you're using the ankle and you're using the big toe correctly and so the whole mechanical chain is improved. But I think that's where you really see the role of the exercises, because if you've been a chair sitter and a shoe wearer your whole life, you probably don't have the tissues that are going to allow hip extension or dorsiflexion or big toe extension. So there's a ton of work you can do to regain that capacity. And what's so great is your body is going to just naturally start using it, especially some conscious practice. But when you have capacity, your body will tend to use it. So
0: that's... I I like the example you just gave. You you reminded me of something else. else. So, and i made a video about this that i haven't edited yet it's been sitting on my phone for if i'm honest about two years um, and it's, i'm not saying that I'm lazy I'm just you know but yeah that's why it is yeah you're, you're busy it's actually what it really <laughs> is well my 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 natural psychology is I, I start projects really well and and then the editing and finishing things is where things get challenging but um, but what's interesting to me is that I notice that when you walk naturally. As your, toe, as your foot is coming off the ground, your toe is flexing this way. And many of your dorsiflexing, for people who don't know what that means, it's your toe is coming towards your knee. And you would think that when your foot comes off the ground, it would end up doing the opposite and plantar flexing and flexing down. Um, but it's actually the other way around. When your toe comes off the ground, it actually kind of pulls back up. There's a reflex thing that happens that way. And, and the reason this is interesting to me is that, and I hadn't thought about it until you said it, about just people not having the – the, the tissue, the muscle strength for doing it or the coordination or the neurological thing that's allowing it to happen. Some people, especially when they start wearing like one of our sandals, which is super, super lightweight, super, super thin. So their brain thinks they have nothing on their foot. And they've already adapted to being able to walk barefoot without tripping over their own feet. Mm-hmm. But when they put on just a little sandal, they'll sometimes catch a front edge. And it's because they're, they just don't have that natural reflex, that natural movement that's happening. And what usually happens when someone calls to complain about this and they think it's the sandals that are causing a problem, um, I say, well, just give it, a, give it a week and call me back. And they're like, but what do I do? I go, eh, Just give it a week and call me back. And typically a week later they go, wow, it's just not happening as much anymore. And I go, yeah, give it another week and tell me what so happened. So interesting. And it's very interesting because I remember actually, so when I – uh, when I built my office, I put a treadmill desk in. And and this is very early on mm-hmm. when I started wearing sandals. And I would like, you know, once every week, I'd catch a front edge, no big deal. And then it was like once a month. Mm-hmm. And I literally can't remember the last time it happened. Um, and I watch people in airports wearing regular shoes who do that where they catch their toe and nearly fall on their face. So it's not okay. unique to wearing sandals. Sure. Sure. It is unique yeah. to not having feet that function naturally because your, pardon me, your ankle, your hip your everything else aren't as well. Um, I mean, I hear a rumor, correct me if I'm wrong, the hip bones connected to the knee bone, the knee bone, I don't remember how that goes after that.
1: <laughs> those, totally lies. No. <laughs> those, those only yeah, two well, ones. I really do think that, Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you know humans are amazing, and we can make anything work, and we can make everything work for a really long time. And and some people will never have a problem, and other people are going to have a problem. And for them, there's a ton of stuff you can do to improve the situation, which is another reason that those injuries can be so great. Because typically, someone who's getting injured in their 30s or 40s, it doesn't better unless you're willing to work on it. But if you are willing to work on it, then you have this. Opportunity to become stronger and fitter than you were in your 30s when you're 60. And I think that's really cool.
0: What's, of course, the big challenge is that we, well, let me say it differently. Um, In the last, especially 50 years, people have effectively been trained to believe that whenever there's a problem, there is, let's call it a prosthetic solution. There's something that you add on, there's Mm -hmm. something that you do, there's a thing you buy, there's a product that instantly solves it rather than. Realizing there may be some change that has to occur that may take a very short time. may take a little bit of time, but we, we are so accustomed to people selling us this problem solution idea that when you suggest yes. that they need to do something internal, if you will, they need to change something about themselves. Um, that's often met with a lot of resistance. And, yes, and I understand it because who wouldn't want a fast solution? Uh, ironically though, the fast solutions almost never work. And and I say to people, if you broke your arm and you had it in a cast for eight weeks and you took it out of the cast, you have two choices. You can continue to support it or you can actually spend some time doing some physical therapy and getting stronger and your arm could be better than it was before it started, which makes the most sense. And everyone always says the latter. And I go, well, then why are you doing the opposite? And it's you know overcoming that. That let's call it the inertia of marketing, or the inertia of marketing propaganda, mm-hmm. is I think part of our movement movement process, and mm-hmm. and and hopefully encouraging people to realize that this other way is not only better, but uh, well on the long term better, but ultimately less expensive, <laughs> more valuable in other yeah. ways as well, and um, <laughs> you know I don't have an answer yet for how, let alone if it's possible to create that mind shift where people think about what we're talking about and realize, Oh, I just need to learn to do something a little different and all this stuff will take care of itself. And I don't need to, spent a bunch of time researching to find out what orthotic I need or what shoe with, you know, seven inches of cushioning I need, mm-hmm. or whether, you know, the cushioning now has a flux capacitor or a gerbil on a hamster on a hamster wheel. And why would you put a gerbil on a hamster wheel is what I'm wondering now or, um, or whatever else it is. <laughs> uh,
1: so which where are me, the gerbil wheels?
0: Yeah, you have to have, I think you have to have a, a, there's a different gerbil wheel and hamster wheel. It has to be. Um, no, when I I'm sure not. Um, when people come to you, what do they typically think they're coming for? And what, ha- what do they get that's not what they expected?
1: In other words, people almost always come to, sorry, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's sort of like, you know, back to my psychologist friend and going on Oprah. I said to him once, do you, do you tell people what they need to hear or what they want to hear? <laughs> he says, oh, I tell them what they want to hear and yeah. when they walk in the door, they get surprised by finding out what they need to hear. And I go, that's that's kind of pulling the rug out from underneath people. I guess it's the only way to do it. You can't tell them what they need to hear because yeah. they don't understand it.
1: Yeah. You have to find bridges. You have to find stuff that people understand and are interested in exploring themselves. Uh, you can't, you just can't be like, you, you should get rid of all your shoes and sit on the floor and that would be better for you. Nobody wants to hear that. Uh, but people will come if they're injured people come to me because they're injured and often I'll get a shoulder injury or a hip injury and I'll be like well you should probably work on your feet and that's the, that's the challenging conversation <laughs> right. but they should also work on their shoulders and hips you know everything your whole body needs to move and I think just like we don't give our feet enough of a chance to move naturally you know we should all be squatting and we should all be climbing and hanging and I love that you have a hanging bar in your house and I'm not at all surprised and you know everybody <laughs> needs that movement our body require it Um, but what people tend to do is you know go to I I don't want to like knock on anyone's sports thing because they're all awesome but they're not what our bodies require so you give them little bits of stuff to explore that feel good and that they like and then they're either interested or they're not ultimately but I do think the shoe thing is so powerful because as soon as you start experiencing a more barefoot way you know I don't see how you ever go back.
0: There's a, there, there's a CEO of a footwear brand. Who's a friend of mine. I won't mention him or the brand. Cause it would be too humiliating who said, uh, and they make a product that has some elements of natural movement, but not all of them. And he says, uh, you know our customers get addicted to our stuff like once they once they get used to this product in like 6 to 9 months they never want to go back and i go yeah we have the same experience in 6 seconds because <laughs> 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 you don't have to break things in but it's the only reason that we get out of bed in the morning is from the number of people who've had that experience of like oh my god this is such a big deal and it's such a big deal in ways that mm-hmm. people don't how do i want to put this it's such a big deal that people think when I talk about it, that I'm just making it up and some hyperbolic marketing crazy person. And and I have to remind them, I go, you just got to know that prior to 1970, this is what everybody did prior to the industrial revolution this is what everybody did and we're not doing something new we're doing something old the new things are the intervention mm-hmm. for which there's no evidence and they go oh yeah to mm-hmm. the point um so it, yeah. it, but again that's because we're so used to someone like new and improved better than ever here's this new discovery and the new discovery is
1: thicker stronger
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah cleaner yeah. whiter whatever it's
1: really is. really fascinating And I think also, you know, one of the barriers is that people tend personally, if you suggest that their footwear choice might be problematic, and I don't know if that's universal, but it's been so interesting. So, as you know, we were long-term traveling until the pandemic hit, and my mother has very kindly sheltered us and looked after us, so we flew from Mexico and we're now in, in, in her basement. Um, But she knows I'm putting together this foot course. And so she keeps hearing me talk about how terrible things like heels on your shoes are and traditional hiking boots. And she keeps getting angry at me because she thinks I'm criticizing her shoe wardrobe, which I suppose... You know, it is true that she's wearing shoes that I don't think are good for her, but it's not about her. It's just the shoes.
0: Well, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about that. So first of all, I'm so glad you said you're living in your mother's basement because this whole time I've been thinking what I see behind you just seems so unlike you. Um, It's especially the, it's especially the thing with the plates in it. There, it's like, that's just not what human beings in our age range do anymore. It's like, okay. So I love that. Um, So here's, here's, here's a thing that I discovered a friend of mine. um, I've been having this Sunday morning brunch with friends and friends of friends and whoever decides to come for like 25 years. And we call it brunch church because we do it religiously on Sundays. And so um, one of my friends used to bring people just to argue with me. About things like, did we land on the moon? Um, is is the mind an emergent function of the brain? Um, you know it was nine eleven an inside job. I mean, it's like all these things. And my favorite was somebody who who came like with a master's thesis to present to me. And then after he did this presentation, he said, all right, tell me if you can pick apart my argument. So I started picking apart his argument. And then he started yelling at me and started saying, you know, you're so argumentative. I went, you asked me to do that. But what was fascinating is that he was acting like I was trying to kill him, his children, and his children's children. It was not only taking it personally, it was life and death. And I have this theory that beliefs that we adopt certain kinds of beliefs that we adopt we somehow store them in our brain in a similar way or very tightly related to our sense of self itself, our sense of self itself and so when we point out that someone's that some belief that someone has or some decision that they made may not be accurate it goes right to your sense of self, which is partly why there's a lot of cognitive psychology research that shows if someone has a belief and you show them evidence that the belief is factually inaccurate, instead of going, oh, they hold on to it even more tightly. And it makes no sense that we would do that kind of rationally, but it makes total sense that we would do that because when humans learn to make decisions, It wasn't valuable to have to redo that every time you were in a similar situation. It's evolutionarily advantageous to just come up with one. If it works, stick to it like white on rice, no matter what happens, because that's just going to be the fastest way to process. Now, if you think about it and extrapolate that a little bit, it means that most of us evolved from idiots because (laughs) some of the... It's someone, someone who made a decision for the wrong reason or came to the wrong conclusion, but lived. <laughs> and so we are the spawn Successful of more idiots.
1: Successful yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, we're we are the, we are the, the offspring of surviving idiots. And, uh, and then if you, you know extrapolate from there, you just have to watch the movie um, idiocracy and see where that's going, which is not good. So um, it's uh, so, so, but you're but you're you're right. I mean, this is a magic question. How do you and and maybe I'm I'm asking this not quite rhetorically, but kind of rhetorically. And maybe people listening or watching have an answer. How do you present this information that doesn't come into conflict with this phenomenon of how our brains work? And I don't I don't know. I have some I have some ideas. I have some things I'm playing with. But you know, that's the sixty four thousand dollars question. And that reference dates me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <So. laughs> well, it's like, how do you get the broccoli into the dessert? Like, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah hold on, totally
0: hold on, young. wait, hold on. There's, a, there's a. Th- Lane and I have been buying this, these things at Costco. There, these tiny little chocolate muffins that are that say they're made with you know broccoli and zucchini and all this stuff. And so, this is this is what we do for dessert. It's like, you want some vegetables for dessert? And there's probably a molecule of broccoli in these things, but it makes us feel so healthy.
1: <laughs> totally, and. and- you know what, though, like it's all joking aside, like it's about finding those common interests. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe, maybe you should totally wear whatever shoes you want to wear, but then just once spend some time barefoot and you know, like, like whatever they are mm-hmm. for somebody individually. We have a big joke. If you do any kind of anthropological reading or if you read Sapiens, which is such a great book, um, you know, you'll find that, you know, 90% of of the names that human tribes have ever chosen for themselves, they always seem to be something like "We are the one people," or "We are the first people," or "We are the best people." And <laughs> you will see; it is so consistent. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just remarkable. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it you, you like watch for it; you'll see it for sure. It's well, just it's what, that same problem. But I've got to pause. I mean, I find that so funny because because
0: I know that we are. I mean, you know, it's just obvious. <laughs>
1: Clearly, we're doing the right thing, right?
0: I mean, those I I people, think you, thats you have the to silly one. So, really, the
1: question yourself. <laughs> 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 Thank goodness we have the answer, Stephen. Oh my
0: God, I don't know what I would do if we didn't.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's. I
0: mean. so, but but I I like your idea. It's like rather than trying to go head head first into this, it's like finding a way to introduce people that isn't threatening, that just gives them the little bit of a taste, the little something um, that will then open up the door a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, I can tell you the way that I've been doing it now, and this is not uh, an example of that. I've been pointing people back to experiences that contradict their beliefs in a very not trying to do it in a non-confrontational way so like when people ask me what I do for a living I go well let me ask you a weird question do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day and I've never met anyone who says yes and then I go "Um, you know that's probably because of your shoes because like look at your shoes which are pointy and I go and tell me is that the shape of your foot and they go no And so those two things kind of open up a conversation Mm -hmm. that, and I don't then say, you know, take off your shoes, go barefoot, buy my shoes, whatever. But that's a way of kind of making an end run around it. That has been um, really yeah. effective. And I know that when people become barefoot, natural movement, minimalist converts, our natural inclination is to try to just go head on and convert the unwashed masses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, something really that I'm, it's something I'm looking to do is to basically create a curriculum for how people who get hip to what we're doing can talk about what we're doing without pissing off their friends. And family. <laughs> it's like, and it's a tough one. Well, I think
1: you know. What, one of the real challenges is the over enthusiasm because like, yeah. you know, like you said, like I think once you discover how much healing and how much better, better feeling is available for you, once you start doing this, it starts to be astounding that anyone could do anything different. And then you really right. do turn into that horrible person that you don't want to have dinner next to. So it's sort of about tempering your enthusiasm. And I think, you know, I think what you, you're doing and creating, you know, your, your zero community and being out there and normalizing this is part of it too. So it shouldn't be as exciting to discover it as my is like, oh, now I'm doing that too because all these people are doing it. So making it a little bit more normal and making it a little bit less of a revelation is really, really helpful because otherwise, mm-hmm. yeah, like the over-enthusiasm does not help at all. I think another thing that works well for me in, in my life, although I haven't tried it so much with people as clients, is that whenever my partner and I have a disagreement about what we should do, like should we do, do X this way or that way, we almost invariably just say, well, we're going to do an experiment and we're going to choose either way. It doesn't matter which one. And then we're going to decide if that was the right way or not. And I find that experimental mindset is incredibly helpful because it takes away any sense that he's right or I'm right. And we just get to explore something with kind of no stakes experiment. So I wonder whether that might not be a way into two, like, you know, be like, just try it, try wearing a minimal shoe for a day. I like that
0: idea. Um, I I love the let's just give it a whirl and see what happens. Um, I used to do some a a thing. I don't get to get out very much. I don't interact with human beings as much as I used to when I didn't have a job. Um, But I used to do things like this. I'd walk into a bookstore, and I would say, uh, "What book should I get?" I didn't like to walk up to some employee, and they go, well, what do you like? I went, it's not my question. What book should I get? And I did this in in Powell's uh, bookstore in Portland, and the first person I said it to said, I don't know, go to that section and ask that person. So I went up to that section, and I said, so what book should I get? And they said, what do you like? I went, again, I don't know. I mean, the question is, what book should I get? And this person went, huh. Come with me, and they took me to a to a section that was actually inter- interesting. You mentioned anthropology; it was the anthropology section, and said, "I think one of these three books would be super cool for you." And they were right. And I had never read anything about anthropology at that time. And so I used to do that. I'd go into restaurants and say, um, "You know, we do this often. Like, you know, what should I get?" Well, what do you like? No, no, just yeah. just bring me something. And it was a really really fun way to interact with the world of just let's see, Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? It's a variation of just saying yes to, you don't say yes Mm -hmm. to everything. because You're not a pushover, but you're just like Mm -hmm. looking for opportunities to not make the normal decision that you would typically make. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the point you made of like, just try it. Oh boy, this is the this is the holy grail for me as a business person with zero shoes is people say to me what are your goals and I say get more shoes on more people's feet so they can have the experience and we're trying to find mm-hmm. ways of doing that while still being able to remain in mm-hmm. business because we can't just send out a million pairs of <laughs> shoes for free. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe we can and yeah. I just haven't yeah. figured out how.
1: Yeah. You
0: know?
1: yeah. <laughs> so it's it's just a fascinating set of challenges. And I think as humans, we become more and more patterned over time and less and less open to new ideas. And so I think as a you know a guiding principle of our lives is we're trying to stay open. But I love your idea of just walking in and being like, Tell me what to do. And just letting yourself be open. That's a super awesome beginner's mind. And that's such a great way to push yourself outside of those patterns. I think that's
0: awesome. I, I was I, I was in a situation where um, let's just say I was homeless for a little while is the easiest way of putting it it's that's a that's an exaggeration and it's a little hyperbolic but it's a fun way to say it but suffice it to say for a couple of days um, I didn't have any money I was in a place that I didn't didn't live didn't really didn't know anyone and I went especially when I was hungry I would walk up to strangers and ask for help I would say I'm hungry can you feed me and um, some people would hand me money. Some people would just like, you know, give me a dirty look. Some people would do whatever. And finally, one person said, what are you asking me for? There's a restaurant right over there. That's where they make the food. (laughs) (laughs) I said, Oh my God. Oh my God. That was brilliant. So I walk up to the restaurant. Uh, It was a fast food place. Now, I had been a vegetarian for 20 years up until that point. Um, I still mostly am. And I don't eat um, meat. I occasionally have some eggs and occasionally have some sushi. So anyway, I walk up to this restaurant. I said, I'm hungry. Will you feed me? And the guy behind the counter just gives me a totally dirty look. And I realized he hadn't said yes or no. So I kept looking back at him and I just waited and then he kept looking at me and I kept looking at him and then he just kind of shrugs and shakes his head and says, wait right here. No, better yet. Go sit over there. And I went, okay. So I went and sat over there and five minutes later he comes out with this bacon double cheeseburger and a large order of fries and a large Coke. And people said, well, you know, did it ruin your digestion because you've been a vegetarian? I said, no, what ruined it is I couldn't eat without crying because I was so grateful. And I mean, I didn't like it or not like it, but it was, it was just such a, um, I mean, I'm crying, tearing up just thinking about it. You know, it's, it's super, super fun to put yourself in those kind of situations.
1: Anyway. One of the coolest things. Things that has happened to us on our travels has been living in in a surf camp type environment. I don't know if you've ever been to a surf camp, oh. but I'm sure they're all different. There are you know there's organized ones, but there's also places where there's a wave and there's some camping near the wave, and a bunch of people go camping there, and a bunch of surfers will live there for three or four months at a time, and people will come in on weekends, and there's this really interesting kind of camp community environment that happens. And because surfers are broke, you get a lot of random strangers coming across your campsite and asking for help. Um, And it's, you know, do you have surf wax? Do you have mustard? Do you have a knife? And it's awesome. I think (laughs) that we all, as North Americans, need to start getting better at asking for help because people love to help. And that's what creates community. It it is such an awesome, awesome thing to be vulnerable enough to ask for help and to be able to experience being a giddy. I think it is awesome. And I, that was one of my most, it just struck me, you know, we we all have a little bit too much and so we don't need to ask for help anymore, but we all do need help still. And I think we need to get better at that. It has nothing to do with movement, although I'm happy to help you move better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's not, (coughs) excuse me. That's another interesting question. It's like, so I, I wonder how we can try to combine these things or if there's a way I'm obviously just thinking out loud is there, there has to be a way so people are coming to you because they're injured. They've gotten somehow the idea that you can be helpful. Um, but there's this much, much larger group of people who either aren't injured, aren't looking for your kind of help, uh, or whatever it is. You know, I, I, and I'm thinking about this for myself too, obviously, what, how can we create opportunities for people to get help before they know to ask and, um, or to offer what it is um, and not do it in a way that has the, you know, we are the one people who, or, or uh, it, it, this, it's the, this, the, the whole conversation of it is what's interesting to me and a real challenge as an internet based marketer. It's like, how do we have these conversations with as many people as we can in the easiest way that we can without feeling like automatons and that we're just, you know, spewing out things that are not related? One thing I do, um, there's a couple of emails that we send out where I have my personal phone number in it and i go look you know here's my info just give me a call if you need me and i only get about 3 calls a week but they all have the exact same pattern it's like hello this is steven oh my god <laughs> and, and uh, it's really entertaining
1: yeah um, yeah
0: but i mean i <laughs> Yeah, i just like to uh, i think it's important uh, even uh, no matter how big the company gets i think it's important to have that kind of availability um because that's how that's how, how this whole thing evolved and i'm still learning every day from people so anyway that's all a tangent sure. from natural movement sure. so sure. um we, we've only got a couple well, minutes left
1: you know i mean
0: sorry go ahead no no you go ahead yeah
1: I was just going to say that, you know, as much as, you know, as a, as a person with an online business, you know, one of the things that we all do is give away some free content and some free information. But one of my pieces is a, is a foot exercise course. I call it a fix your feet bootcamp and it's five, five foot exercises and foot advice. And I have to say, I really like giving that away because it's a really solid giveaway. You know, people can do that and do nothing else and really have a lot of success with it. And I get emails all the time from people who have said that it's really changed how their feet are. And I just think, mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's one of the nice things about it helps me increase my reach. It helps other people heal. If they need more, there's more to be had. And maybe they don't need more. And that's awesome, too. So, you know, I love hearing from people. And it's it, like you said, it's just so great to hear that people are doing these things and making changes Um,
0: well I I interrupted to say we only have a few minutes left but you just gave me the perfect segue to get the hell out of here but first things first I think you need to change the name I think you have to call it an unboot camp
1: (laughs) that's that's a good idea. Okay, I'm going to do
0: that. Fix your feet and boot camp. <laughs> the camp. I have
1: my work cut out for me now. Yeah, yeah. The non-boot camp.
0: <laughs> Well, to, to that point, um, Petra, do me a favor. Tell human beings or whomever else might be engaging with this who may have some different designation, um, how they can find out more about that program and about what you're up to and how they can interact with what you're doing and get that help that they may not have known to ask for.
1: For sure. Well, the best place is probably my website. So that's PetraFisherMovement.com and it's Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R. I I don't have a C. Um, And I'm also on Instagram as Petra Fishment uh, or Facebook as Petra Fisher Movement. So I'm very consistent. (laughs) So in any of those places you can find me, you can find the unboot camp and uh, you can find tons of information about natural movement and how to get some more in your life.
0: Awesome. Well, um, people don't know that we had a brief phone chat before this, uh, before we did this like last week and just, we're talking about random things and I had way too much fun. And, and, um, not surprisingly, that's my experience here as well. So a, thank you. B, um, I'll say now in public, you know, whatever we can do to be helpful, please let me know. And we will no doubt offline, figure out ways of doing that. Cause again, as part of, the movement, movement, it's very exciting for me to see other people doing other things. Like some of my footwear competitors, uh, I say to them, look, I'm thrilled that you're here because the more of us that are doing this, the more awareness it brings to the whole idea. And that's the most important thing. Um, Oh, yes, I want to sell more shoes than you. But nonetheless, the most important part is that we're all creating this level of awareness and giving people experience. And uh, for the people like you and for Katie and for Emily Splickle and um, oh my gosh, I'm thinking about um, uh, Stacy Krause and um, uh, sorry, I'm going to leave out. Of, I feel like I'm doing an Academy Award speech and I'm forgetting the name of my parents. There's so many people who are doing <laughs> such great work, many of whom who've been on the podcast and many more who, who are scheduled to that uh, I'm, I can't wait to see where this goes. I'm seeing it all accelerating really quickly. Are you seeing something similar? Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's
1: awesome. I think so. I feel like especially feet. Have gotten some real momentum over the last six months. So, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about it. And I think there's, you know, there's the Foot Collective, there's oh, yeah. Northwest Foot and Ankle in, in Portland. They're doing great work. Uh, there's Gate Happens on Instagram. You know, more people are talking about feet. And I just think it's super, super exciting. So, yeah, let hope that, start, that this time. Here's
0: shows. one that we started hearing that's super funny, um, not haha funny per se, really, but so many people during COVID are spending so much time indoors that they're spending so much time without their their shoes on we've had a number of people call us and say i went and put on my regular shoes and i didn't fit in them anymore and we're like sweet so um because it's like that's normal and you didn't know it till now so maybe that's actually that's our answer we just need to have everyone stop wearing shoes for a month or two and then try to put them back on and i think uh if we just let that that's gonna that's gonna be our new kind of big brother-esque biodome whatever biosphere experiment is just you know (laughs) Have have no, no shoes November. Well, that would be horrible because then people would have to find out in December and that would be a problem. So no shoes. Yeah, oh. Not November. Yeah, not November. That would interfere no with
1: – We'll have to think about that one.
0: Yeah, we got to find a, find a version of that. Anyway, Petra you – know total, total pleasure. Thank you so, so much. Um, and uh, let me do the the outro for everybody. For those of you who joined us, thank you for being here, whether you're listening or watching or um, someone sent you this via carrier pigeon or however you're interacting with content. Um, if you don't know how to do that, just go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and all those other places uh, on iTunes and Google Play and everywhere that you get podcasts. Um, where? wherever you can, leave a review and send us something and give us a thumbs up and a like and a share and a hit the bell on YouTube. And you know how to do all that. I don't need to tell you how, uh, but we want you part of the movement movement. If you want to be part of the tribe, please do subscribe. If you have any questions or feedback or anybody you want to be on the show, just drop me an email, move at join movement.com. And just like the phones um, where I answer them, I will answer your email. And most importantly, go out, have fun, be safe during this time and live life feet first.